this is Pastor Daryl Beggs. You're listening to Sunday Morning Sermons from Central Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Texas. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. We are going through a series in Hebrews called Jesus is Better. It's kind of an understatement, isn't it? Jesus is better. It should be Jesus is best, shouldn't it? But it talks about throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus being better, and we have learned that He is better. He is better than angels and prophets and Moses and Joshua. And today we're going to talk about He is better than the greatest high priest. You know, the fact that God set up a system. He set up a system of priests and sacrifices. What does that tell us? That tells us that we were estranged from God. From the very first time the first man and woman in the garden sinned, and God had to slay the animals to make coverings for them, and then he set up this system. It tells us that we're estranged. We're separated from God and we really need help. The Hebrew Christians were under a lot of pressure and they were tempted to want to go back because after all, there were things that they could see. They could see Jerusalem. They could see the temple. They could see the priest. They could see their old way of life and their old system. They couldn't see Jesus. They knew it was there, but they couldn't see him. It reminded me of what Peter said to the persecuted church when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. We can't see Him, can we? But we know He's there. Now, the writer is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's reminding him them that there is nothing, there's no one, there's no system better or more superior than the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the best. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. But they were not unlike many of us. Sometimes we get stuck. You ever get stuck? You ever get stuck in your faith? You ever go and see a stream that's flowing along and you see a stick that's coming down the stream and it gets kind of stuck over on the side? That's kind of how we are sometimes as Christians. And somebody needs to come along and push that stick back out and let it go on down the flow because we don't move forward in our faith. Maybe we get afraid or maybe we don't want to take the next step or maybe we're going through a difficulty. So it's hard for us to put one foot in front of the other. And so God gave to them this letter to encourage them to pick up and to move on to let them know that Jesus is better and He's the best and there's not going to be anything after Him. He is God's last word to us. And so they need to cling to Him. So the central theme of this is the priesthood of Jesus, that He is the last, He is the eternal high priest, and we need Him. We need Him desperately, don't we? We need Jesus every day, every moment of every day. So look in chapter 4 in verse 14. It says, Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why is Jesus better? He's a better high priest because, first of all, he has a better status than any other high priest ever, right? Jesus is a person, but he also has a position. He is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is his earthly name. If you were to run into Jesus on the streets of Jerusalem, you would have said, Hey, Jesus, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's your folks? 
And everybody knew that was Jesus. He walked and He talked just like everybody else. He had the same feelings, the same desires, the same temptations, the same discouragements. All of the things that you and I go through, He was a person, but He also was a man of great position because He wasn't just Jesus. He was Jesus, the Son of God. So He had power and strength and majesty. He was fully God and He was fully man. He was the greatest high priest because no one else could have claimed the title Son of God. He was sinless. He didn't have to make a sacrifice for Himself. He is our hope. He has gone through a heavenly veil. Now what does He mean by a heavenly veil? Well, you know that in the old system, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. That was the most holy place. It represented the presence of God. In there was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest could go in to offer sacrifice for himself and for the people. He would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And legend has it that they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he died in there, they could pull him out because no one dared go in there. But Jesus has made a new and living way for us through this, into this heavenly tabernacle. Jesus has opened up for you and me a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week tabernacle that we might come into the presence of God through Him. And it's, it's incredible. It's exciting. And you see what He's trying to say to the Hebrew people here? You may be tempted to go back, but you're not going to find anything better than Jesus. He has opened up a new 24-7 heavenly tabernacle for you. So don't quit. Don't give up. The next chapter points out that he is a forever priest. Look in chapter 5 with me. And look at verse 6. It says, just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And in verse 10 it says, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek is a strange creature. person that shows up in one place, two places really in the Old Testament, but one place we get the details. He shows up when Abram, Lot, you remember Lot is the nephew of Abram. Lot is living in Sodom. Sodom is overthrown in war and they capture Lot and his family and they carry them off as captives. Abram finds out about it. He takes his army. He defeats the army of the captors and brings back his nephew Lot. And so when he gets back, there's this mysterious character that shows up by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And the scripture says he's the king of Salem. So Salem means peace. So he's the king of righteousness and he's the king of peace. Who does that remind you of? Jesus came to impute to us his righteousness and to give us peace with God and the peace of God. So Melchizedek, I think, is just uh, Jesus appearing to Abram way back all those years ago. And the Bible says that Abram gave to Melchizedek 10% of all that he had. He gave him the tithe. And so everybody that says, well, we, we don't have to tithe nowadays because that's just part of the law. That's not part of the law. It goes all the way back to Abram and Melchizedek. So that was a principle before that. That's free. That's not in the sermon. But I just want you to know that part of our giving... We, you, you, don't, you don't make excuses about what we give to God. We give to Him what belongs to Him, right? But we give to Him not only the tenth, but we give to Him our whole self. That is a way of saying, hey, this is my 
part of what I'm giving, but this doesn't mean you're 10% of my life. This means you're all my life and all I have comes from you. And I'm just, this is a symbol that I'm giving my whole self to you. That's what giving is all about. And so anyway, Melchizedek is this priest. But Melchizedek is a strange person because the Bible says that he's a priest forever. Now, Aaron is not a priest forever, was he? Aaron was the brother of Moses. He wasn't a priest forever. And all the Levites, where were they when this was written? They were all dead. The old system was passing away. There was a new covenant coming in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a high priest, how long? Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He was from a whole different line. He's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Now listen to this, what I read in one of my commentaries. It says, He can bring people to God and bring to people all that God has for them. When I read that, I thought, that is so exciting. Jesus is able to bring us to God and to bring to us all that God has for us. What all does God have for us? Is there any limit to what God has for us? I mean, it's incredible. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to get up here and tell you you're all going to be rich. But I think the riches of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the Holy Word of God, He is able as our high priest, as our mediator, and through giving us the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit to bring to us all that God means for us to have. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Well, it is to me, even if it's not to you. I think it's, it's pretty cool. So He says, hold fast to this in a tenacious way because of who He is and because of what He's done. Do you know if we don't hold on and we fail, is that Jesus' fault or is it our fault? It's our fault because He has opened up what? A 24-7 prayer center for us to come into His presence through that heavenly veil. And if we don't take advantage of that and His ability to give us all that He means for us to have, then that, that's on us. Now notice here that He doesn't say, hold on to your salvation. He doesn't say that, does He? He says, hold on to your confession. What's the difference? Who is the one who holds our salvation? Is that you or is that Jesus? That's Jesus. It better be Jesus because if it's not, you're not going to keep it. He's the only one who can earn it and He's the only one who can keep it for you. But He says, hold on to your confession. What does that mean? That means that I am confessing Him I'm coming to this church, and by coming to this church and being a part of this church, I'm confessing that I'm a Christian, that I'm going to walk with Jesus, that I'm going to be what He wants me to be and would have me to be. I am going to let that be known in my community, and I'm not going to let my confession falter. Even if I go through difficulty and trials and tribulations, I'm going to keep coming into that 24-7 place, that tabernacle that I can seek Him and, and where I can find some help. And I, am, and I am going to let this community know that I don't just talk about it, I walk the walk, whether I'm walking on top of the mountain or down in the valley. I'm going to hold on to my confession because it's important that I do that. I'm going to know that Jesus has enough integrity to fulfill what He says. I'm not going to be like this woman who decided to, to open an investment firm and she was doing really well and her business began to grow and she thought, well, you know, I need to hire a lawyer to kind of make sure we keep all this legal stuff straight. So she started interviewing these young lawyers and she brought this young guy in and she said, you know, in our business, integrity is of utmost importance. Are you a man of integrity? He said, ma'am, let me tell you about integrity. 
My father lent me $15,000 for school. And on my first case out of, after I graduated, I paid him back. She said, that's impressive. What was your first case? He, she, he said, my father sued me for $15,000. So you... Uh, people, people mess up, don't they? You can't trust people. Now... I'm not saying that we should never trust people, but you and I both know that even the people we love the most, we have messed up. We've let other people down. People in the old sacrificial system were not perfect. We know that some of those priests were corrupt and ungodly. He's saying to these Hebrews, you can count on Jesus. He has a greater status. He's perfect. He's forever. He has a 24-7 place for you to come. He has greater status. But secondly, He has a better sympathy for us. And aren't you thankful for that? We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Every high priest could sympathize. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifice, sacrifices for sins. God decided who the priests would be. You remember the priestly family came from Levi. Now there were times along the way when other people tried to be a priest and God said, no, that's not going to work. You remember when Saul decided he would become a priest and make his own sacrifices? God kicked him out of being king. He said, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm, I'm setting the rules, not Saul. Just because you're king doesn't mean I'm not your king. And so God set this system up and He appointed them. And so when Jesus came, Jesus didn't appoint Himself. He was appointed by the Father to come for us. But look at verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since He Himself also is beset with weakness. Who's He talking about? He's talking about those earthly high priests. They were sinners too. So beginning with Aaron and every high priest after him, they all understood that they needed to make sacrifices for themselves. But look at verse 7 when it comes to Jesus. It says, in the days of His flesh, that's when He was here on this earth, He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His piety. You know, I love that last line, He was heard because of His piety. Do you and I have any right to ask anything of God? No, because we're sinners. But we have one who is perfectly pious, who intercedes for us, and when we go through Him, we can get a prayer heard and answered. Isn't that wonderful? That He makes that way for us. But beyond that, He's talking about how Jesus cried out when He was in the garden. You remember, He was so overtaken with this task of dying for the sins of the world and being separated from His Father that He, he sweat these great drops of blood. Jesus was a man of tears. He did not mind weeping. Guys, he didn't mind having a broken heart over things that broke his heart. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he wept because he saw the effect of death on people. He knew he was going to overcome it, but he wept at that tomb. And then, of course, he stood over Jerusalem and he cried. He wept over Jerusalem because they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't come to him. By the way, if you hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for you and rose again and that he wants you to be part of his family, and you refuse to accept that, that it, it's, it's a breaking the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's done everything He can possibly do for you 
And if you refuse to accept that and come to know Him, I believe that causes Him to weep as well. He wants you to be part of His family. He wants you to be a part of an eternal family that lives with Him forever and ever. So if you've never done that, I want to encourage you and even plead with you to do that today. But the Scripture says He was tempted in all things just as we are. But I think He was tempted to an even greater degree because He was perfect. And therefore, Satan pulled out all the stops. You remember that? When he went out in the wilderness, he pulled out all the stops. When he went to Gethsemane, he pulled out all the stops. But Jesus fought through that. He didn't waver. He continued to move through that. He can sympathize with us. He knew that after Friday, that terrible Friday, that Sunday was coming. Notice in that verse 15, in the last part of the verse here. Yeah, I'm in verse 15. He says, uh, we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but also it says that he, in back in verse 14, I'm sorry, that he passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession that God is able to was able to save him from his sin. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. Verse 7 of chapter 5. Believe me, I studied it. I looked at this before I came up here. But he says, he's the one able to save him from death. That's the verse I'm looking for. I knew I'd find it. He is able to save him from death. The word there, from, is translated from, can also be translated out of. He knew that when he went into that grave, that God was able to bring him out of that grave. He went through that. Now what's the point in all of this? There's no point in me being lost, but there's an important point that you shouldn't miss. God, when you're going through, maybe right now you're going through difficulty. I just heard this morning about a, a, someone who's going through cancer that I didn't know about. My heart goes out to them. But whatever you're going through, it may not mean that God will deliver you from that or even heal you from it, but He does promise to walk with you through that. And, you know, it's our prayer for healing, isn't it? Always. But, you know, all healing comes from God, whether it's here or whether it's in eternity. If we belong to Him, we're going to have healing. But it says that he went through that for us so that He can sympathize. Whatever you're going through, whatever grief, whatever trial, whatever problem, He can sympathize. He knows where you are and He wants to help you to get through that. He had to go through it to get to the other side. But He didn't waver. He won. And He offered up supplications. I looked that word supplications up and it comes from a root word that means an olive branch. What is an olive branch a symbol of? Peace. He offered up that olive branch to God on our behalf that we might have peace with God and the peace of God. Even when we're going through difficulty, we can cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, I know you've been through everything. I know you can sympathize. I know that you're there for me. When I was a student at Howard Payne, we, got, we were sitting in Old Testament class and a bunch of us preacher boys, we were sitting in the Old Testament class. Dr. Sandlin was our professor. Dr. Sandlin was a pretty emotional man. And he could not hide when he got angry because his, he, he turned all red and his, it's like you wanted to get under the desk. Well, we were in there when John Lennon was shot in New York City. And one of the guys, I don't even remember who it was, one of the guys said, well, of course, everybody knows John Lennon was not a Christian. And one of the guys spoke up and said, he got what he deserved. Ooh. Well, you could see the temperature rising. 
in the face of Dr. Sandlin. And he looked out at that young man and he said to him, does God really ever give any of us what we deserve? You could have heard a pin drop in that place. No, He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us mercy, doesn't He? And kindness. He understands. He sympathizes. I read a song called Jesus Wept. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. But listen to these words. I've heard the carol say that baby Jesus in the hay made no crying as He lay upon His manger bed. But I believe that Jesus cried so He could feel and empathize with that child that's deep inside each lonely tear we shed. And then the chorus says, When I read that Jesus wept, I know He understands. When I read that Jesus wept, I feel His gentle hands. Reaching out with God's compassion, healing wounds that sin has left. Sacrament of incarnation, Jesus wept. Aren't you thankful that we have a Savior who sympathizes? He is a Savior of status. There's no one like Him. He has a 24-7 access for you and me. He's the Savior who sympathizes. But finally, He gives to us a better surety. In verse 16, He says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. How do you come before God's throne? With confidence. He has given us the the surety that we can come. He's on a majestic throne and He waits to hear from you and me. Grace doesn't veil itself anymore. We don't have to go through the high priest. He is our high priest. And Common people can come. And how can we come? We can come with boldness. We can come with confidence. Do you pray with confidence when you pray? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to stop and think about that with me for a minute. When I pray, do I pray with confidence? Do I pray with boldness? Do I understand that since He is the the man with the greatest status, that He has opened all of heaven for me, since He sympathizes with me, even when I blow it. And there are times when we blow it, right? And we want to come to God and say, God, I know You're through with me. I did it again. But He says, I sympathize. And He says, come. Come with confidence. Come with boldness before my throne. What kind of throne is it? It's not a throne of judgment for the Christian. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus but it is a throne of grace. And we find mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is what God doesn't give us that we deserve. What is grace? Grace is what God does give us that we don't deserve. He is a God of mercy and a God of grace. And He says, come. Come into My presence. And you can find help in your time of need. In the Old Testament, the only thing the priest could do was offer those sacrifices to cover the sins. What's the difference between that and what Jesus does? Jesus has offered Himself to cleanse our hearts of all unrighteousness and to give us the peace and the power of God. Do you believe that? He's better, isn't He? Lloyd C. Douglas was an American author and and minister. And he wrote a book about Zacchaeus. And in that book, Jesus asked Zacchaeus, He says, Zacchaeus... Why do you want to change your lifestyle? And this is the answer. Zacchaeus looked at Jesus and he said, Because, good master, I see mirrored in your eyes the face of the Zacchaeus I was meant to be. 
I see mirrored in your eyes the face of the Zacchaeus I was meant to be. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this morning, but would you just close your eyes for a minute and pretend you're looking into the eyes of Jesus and just say to Him in your mind, in your heart, Good Master, I see mirrored in your eyes the face of the person I was meant to be. What a wonderful thought. What an incredible gift that He has come to make us all that we were meant to be. You can open your eyes now. But He, he has come to help us. Not that we would avoid all the trials. Not even He did that. And He said, if I went through it, you got to go through it. But He did promise that we could come to Him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. He started preaching when he was 19 years old in London, England, and God had His hand on that man. It was amazing. People flocked to hear him. And of course, when he was started to be successful as a young preacher, the other preachers in town were jealous and envious. And they began to say that he was an actor in the pulpit and his, his sermons were a train wreck and that he was like a buffoon. And the press, believe it or not, the press, even way back then, would write things that weren't true about him. And one day he found an article in the paper that just was terrible. It was just lies, but it was just stuff they had put in the paper about him. So he came before God and this was his prayer. He said, O Lord Jesus, thou didst make thyself of no reputation for me. I willingly lay my reputation down for thy sake. And from that time on, he had peace in his heart. And he knew that his, in his need, God would give him the grace that he needed. I don't know what your need is today, but I know that we serve a better high priest. Amen. He is better in status. There's nobody better than him. And he has opened up what? A 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week tabernacle for us to seek him. He has entered into our weaknesses and He can sympathize. And He says, I want you to come boldly and with confidence. If we stopped right now, and we're going to stop right now, but if we stopped and did a little exercise this morning, and I said, okay, we're going to start on this part, this half of the room, we're going to go across, and we're going to give everybody an opportunity to share an, a, a prayer that was answered this week. Would you have something to share? If, if, we, if we don't have something to share, if we don't come boldly with confidence, if we can't see and trace His hand and see how He's working in our lives, how can we really believe this? We, we don't want to be like those Hebrews who wanted to go back. We need somebody like the Word of God or the preacher or somebody who comes along and kind of kind of kicks that stick on out in the stream so that we can move forward and be all that God would have us to be. Amen. God, help us to do that. Let's stand together as we pray.